temp check. What kind of summer are we having this year? A family road trip summer? A beach bum summer? Or a wake me when the sun sets summer? With Instacart, choose your own adventure and skip the shopping side quests. Where available, you can get ice cream delivered to your hotel, sunscreen to the pool, or cold brew to your bed. Well, door. In as fast as 30 minutes. Wherever you find yourself this summer, you can get the goods. Download Instacart for free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum $10 per order. Excludes restaurants. Additional terms and fees apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's hard to imagine having to choose between paying the rent or feeding your family. But in neighborhoods all across our area, more people than ever are in this kind of financial turmoil. Every day is like, oh goodness, have we, have we found the top yet? In this edition of 880 In-Depth, the hidden cost of the COVID-19 pandemic, hunger at home. I'm Tim Sheld from WCBS News Radio 880, and just ahead, we'll talk to New Jersey's former lieutenant governor, who now runs a food bank in Monmouth and Ocean County. Kim Goidano's experience in helping the state recover from Hurricane Sandy has certainly been a big help these days. I called uh, everybody. We got on a conference call. Uh, my staff. I, the first question I asked is who who'd been through Sandy and. Nobody raised their hand. Nobody spoke up. I said, well, buckle up, everybody, because we're about to uh, uh, go through something there is no playbook for. And we're all going to have to be kind to each other, and we're going to have to improvise. But first, my conversation with New York City Sanitation Commissioner Catherine Garcia, named in late March New York City's food czar, responsible for managing issues with the food supply in the nation's largest city during this pandemic, with particular emphasis on the city's most vulnerable. Is there any way to get a good scope of the problem that we're dealing with today? So, I mean, I think that we look at it from really two perspectives. One, what do we see in terms of people needing food, i.e. they're showing up at a school to take a grab-and-go meal, they're calling Get Food or 311 to request that we deliver food to them, and what the food bank and City Harvest and other food pantries in the city are seeing in terms of the number of new families who are coming to them. Uh, And the second piece is also looking at, you know, the continued increase in both unemployment insurance requests and filings, as well as in filings for uh, SNAP, otherwise known as food stamps. Um, And our projections are looking that in the city of New York, we're probably uh, like 2.2 million people who are food insecure today. Um, In some respects, as money gets into people's pockets, they will be able to buy their own food at their own grocery stores, which I think would um, 
both help them and help their local economy. Um, but I think the this, this scale of what has happened is sort of, I think, nothing that anyone has ever seen. Yeah, I was going to say before um, before the pandemic, I, I remember reading um, descriptions that suggested that the number of food insecure in the city was somewhere equivalent to the size of a city like San Francisco. Uh, but two over two million people is um, and 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 you've got to think that um, a, a fair significant number of them are children. Yes. No. I mean. Uh... You know, childhood hunger has been one of the things that you know, in this city we have pushed really hard against, um, primarily by ensuring universal free lunch to everyone. It does also mean that everyone with a kid in public school or who got free or reduced lunch in another school will be eligible for what is called pandemic EBT. Uh, and money will automatically be added to their uh, food stamps to support this, the lunch that children might have gotten at school, or a, a card will be sent to them. I think the state is still working through exactly how to deal with uh, the data matches on that. Uh, but we need, really need to make sure that we are focused on this because, um, you know, th- there is a lot of hunger and there's also just a lot of fear out there. Uh, I think it's getting better in terms of being willing to go outside. But there is still a lot of fear of people like even doing simple things like going to the grocery store. Have you seen numbers from 311 to suggest that um, people are taking advantage of that? Because I know those, obviously, if you've got a computer, you can find a place to eat or to get food pretty easily. The system is really, it's excellent. And the access to the mapping is really, really good. But I'm wondering, you know, what if you don't have access to a computer? Yeah, we made a lot of changes at 311, and they had gotten significantly better. Um, uh, we've done some secret shoppers to make sure that the numbers that I thought I was seeing, I was actually really seeing, so I could really judge that experience. Um, uh, and we are seeing many people come in through 311 uh, and sign up for food. I mean, today through the TLC program we will be something on the order of probably delivering 870,000 meals through that platform. And then another uh, probably over 200,000 um, to buildings that are all seniors. We just sort of do a mass drop to those. Uh, so there's a lot of food that we are being, that's being requested and that we are pushing out. Those are crazy numbers, right? Just crazy. They are, they are. They're crazy numbers. They're like every day is like, oh goodness, have we have we found the top yet? I mean, New, um, New, every number dealing with New York City has got to be a big number anyway, because we're the you know the biggest at everything we do. But that is a that that is just those are stunning numbers. Yeah, no, they are. I, I mean, I honestly think it's really a combination of um, some real, just severe economic plight. Uh, as well as um, uh, sort of anxiety about going outside. Um, And people who were very independent, who were seniors and were very independent, they've basically been told that they shouldn't leave their house. And even for those with means, 
getting home delivery, it's, it's better now, but there was a point where you could not get a delivery slot from any of those grocery stores, Stop and Shop, Fresh Direct, Whole Foods, Instacart, um, that there was just, there was no availability. Uh, that is actually getting a lot better at this point in time, but there's still a heavy demand for that sort of service because of real anxiety about um, the spread of the virus. I know that the um, the SNAP program has its critics in terms of <clears throat> concerns about dealing with um, folks that are uh, caught up, uh, whether it be people who are, um, you know, uh, undocumented, um, even uh, I think I've read somewhere a discussion about uh, students having a time limit on some of them. Is there still discussion about um, emergency food vouchers that might help to fill that void? Well, at least for the pandemic EBT that's primarily focused on uh, supporting children, that there is no public charge as part of that. So your documentation status is not asked. Which is helpful. Which is helpful. Students yeah. students are in a difficult position. They're getting out of, out of colleges, coming out in the summer, finding there's no jobs. Uh, and there are time limits on their ability to be in the SNAP program. Is that true? I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we don't want anyone to go hungry. And that's why the the public schools that are providing food will provide food to anyone. Um, and it is just literally you go to the door, there's trays of meals, and you can take what you need and you can leave. Nobody's asking for any documentation status. Uh, in part because we wanted to keep the staff who is preparing that food socially distant from the public. Do, do you get concerned about the fact that this is a bit of a hidden issue? That um, uh, obviously we're dealing with it, but it, but it it seems to be in in the shadows a bit. No, I think that I think that what we're starting to see on food in general is um, I think it has been in the shadows in the past. I think right now, um, not only what you see in New York City, but across the country, folks coming to food pantries that have never been part of the system before uh, and saying that they need help. Uh, And so I think that hunger and food and the criticality of that is actually, I think the virus has shown not only the new need, but the need that we all found that was there before. Um, the other thing that I, I wrestle with, and I assume that you, you've got ahead of you, is how long can this go on for? I mean, this, this, we're, we've got you know months, if not years, of having to deal with uh, um, more food-insecure people. I think that it will sort of um, go in phases. It's sort of the thinking that I have right now. Um, is probably most of this summer will look somewhat similar to what we are doing now, though as we open um, and people start to be less afraid to move around, I think they will uh, make use of their uh, benefits to make sure that they're being able to purchase their own food. I think there also will start to be some more work out there, uh, which will 
significantly, I think, change people's experience. I don't think that will be for everyone. Um, And then I think that there is a longer tail on this that has to do um, particularly with seniors and how long are we going to ask them to stay more sheltered than perhaps the rest of us are being asked to to be uh, because of just their significant vulnerability. And so I think we will be continuing to provide them uh, with food moving forward uh, in a in a more delivery structure, whereas it may move to more uh, grab and go for other parts of the population. And then I think there's a big question mark about um, what two different things. One is is there more federal stimulus that ends up in people's pockets, and then I think the second piece is. Um, what happens when we start to open up schools again? And I'm very hopeful that we will open up schools in the fall, but it certainly is not a guarantee, and that will that will sort of change the model uh, anew. So I think that we're just going to have to be very agile to ensure that we're meeting the need um, as we go forward. As you may know, we put a... <clears throat> quite a bit of additional city money into our food pantry system because we really saw them, you know, not only needing food to distribute, but also much of that system relies on older volunteers and older volunteers are more vulnerable and that they actually had a need to do some hiring of employees to make sure that they could meet their mission. It brings me up to this idea that, um, government can't do it alone. The private sector can't do it alone. Uh, but somehow lifting up the rising tide, um, something like this can be done together. And the idea that restaurants can't have full capacity of people inside, but their kitchens can be full, perhaps. And maybe there is this, I know it, it's happening in many places where restaurants are you know, going to be able to uh, provide meals for their own clientele, uh, a certain percentage, maybe 25% of of their old clientele, and the rest of it, their full employment can go toward helping the hungry. I mean, is this a, is there a place here for a Marshall plan uh, to help both the hungry and the unemployed? Well, I mean, I would say that that's sort of already underway in terms of who are my providers for the food that we're delivering or like they're all big, I mean, primarily big catering companies or big restaurants um, just because of the amount, the volume that we need. Uh, But, you know, that we've actually thought that we wanted to make sure that we were doing that. The other challenge I will have is um, when they actually can get their regular business back, uh, they may actually want to sort of shift a little bit away from what they're doing for me back to their normal, their normal, bread and butter work. So I think this is going to be all about being agile, but, you know, we definitely wanted to support some of the uh, folks some of the, that had big kitchens and get their, their folks back working. Can you um, give me sort of the top line of the money that's being spent on this? Uh, the food banks were spending about $25 million. Right. Uh, and then on Sort of the other programs, I think we'll spend somewhere between thirty-five and forty million dollars this week on food. Wow! I would be remiss if I didn't ask you uh, to look at where you sit now from um, your seat as um, 
head of uh, the the Department of Sanitation. I mean, you were charged with, you know, cleaning up big portions of the city, uh, say, for a, a blizzard or something like that, when the city got buried under. This is almost like a blizzard that's you can't dig out of. This is a blizzard that doesn't end. Usually a blizzard stops and then you can dig out. Uh, this is this is one in which it's not quite the same uh, intensity of that. It's just much, much longer. Um, and so the economic pain that I think we're in, it, it's, you have a very steep hill to climb, but it, it's still getting worse. Um, so I'm hopeful that we can begin to open up for... Uh, in a safe way. I, I certainly don't want to put anyone in jeopardy, but um, to be able to have some economic activity again, I think would be uh, really helpful because otherwise this is like a very slow wound um, that continues to, to really bleed uh, out for people. You know, it gives me a lot of honor to get be able to come into work every day and, and focus on this and try and make it better and ensure that we don't have people going hungry. Thank you, and good luck to you. Thank you. Take care. Be safe. Like Catherine Garcia in New York, Kim Goidano in New Jersey has dedicated much of her life to public service. She was lieutenant governor under Chris Christie, and after Hurricane Sandy, she helped manage the state's recovery. Today, she's president and CEO of Fulfill New Jersey, formerly known as the Food Bank of Monmouth and Ocean County, an area of the state whose economy depends on the tourism business. Now, thanks to the economic trauma from the pandemic shutdown, the work of her organization doubled overnight. She spoke to our Peter Haskell. What have you seen since the pandemic started in terms of demand? So, before the virus hit and before we were quarantined, we were serving about 136,000 what we call food insecure or hungry people at the Jersey Shore, about 50,000 children or to put one in 10 people. And then when the government shut everything down, because the economy at the Jersey Shore relies mostly on hospitality, um, literally we saw everything double. People lost their jobs overnight and we saw an overnight increase in demand of between 40 and 50 percent. So we went from zero to 60 in a weekend and it was, we were slammed. There's no other way to look at it. It's, it, we were slammed. So soup kitchens went down, pantries went down. And because we were the food bank that handled and was, were responsible for making sure that people got fed, we, we had to step in. So when I say we went from zero to 60, I would say we went from zero to 100% over a a very uh, interesting (laughs) and challenging weekend because people had to be fed and they panicked. Everybody panicked over the weekend as to how we were going to manage. And and it's understandable because nobody expected it. Nobody was ready for it. Um, So what we did really quite simply is improvise. Uh, Luckily, I had some expertise in that area because of Sandy. I called uh, everybody. We got on a conference call. Uh, my staff, I, the first question I asked is who, who'd been through Sandy and nobody raised their hand. Nobody spoke up. I said, well, buckle up everybody because we're about to uh, 
uh, go through something there is no playbook for. And we're all going to have to be kind to each other, and we're going to have to improvise. And there is no right way or wrong way of doing this, and we're just going to have to make things happen in a way that nobody's ever had to make things happen before. And and we did. Um, we immediately started uh, making boxes of food for people that we called crisis boxes because none of the pantries could make these boxes. The pantries are basically staffed by volunteers, and those volunteers were told to stay home. Most of our volunteers, Peter, are older people who were in in compromised situations anyway. Most of our pantries were small at churches, which were closed, so uh, they couldn't operate. Most of our pantries were what we call choice pantries, so people got to go inside and choose what they wanted. That was no longer a possibility. None of them were um, set up to be social distancing type of um, operations. So they were they were shut down almost overnight. Many of our operations were soup kitchens, and obviously that wasn't going to happen. So we started making boxes, and we never stopped. We have made, to date, more than 40,000 crisis boxes in the last 70 or so days, where last year we made none. Uh, we have partnered with restaurants, which had other, would otherwise be closed. We pay them a stipend of $5 a box to provide hot foods to those people that would have otherwise gone to soup kitchens. I mean, I, I, I'll never forget my staff walking in and, and with tears running down their face saying the Lacey food kitchen, soup kitchen had just closed and they served 80 people twice a week and they were no longer going to be able to serve these 80 people twice a week. And I called a restaurant friend of mine and said, can you serve hot meals to 80 people twice a week? And uh, the response back was, look, I'm in the same situation you are, but let's see what we can do. And from that, that simple conversation, we created a partnership with restaurants and those restaurants that were able to stay open um, and operate literally on a shoestring in this environment stayed open and since that Monday, March 15th, we've served more than 120,000 hot meals at $5 a stipend to people who otherwise wouldn't get hot meals. So from March 15th on, we have provided about 950,000 meals to people in the Jersey Shore area that we did not provide last year, Peter, because we had to, you know, and we figured it out. That's more than 15,000 meals per day that we did not do or serve last year, same time. And for people to think this thing is over soon just because we open up, it's just not realistic. You just can't kickstart an economy at the Jersey Shore and hope all these people go back to work and the sun comes up and everybody is not is, and everybody is fine. Uh, this is going to go on for months and months and months and people say, how are you doing? I said, well, I can manage feeding people. I've, we've figured that out. We, we know how many people need crisis boxes and we know how to put hot meals where the hot meals need to go. Um, thankfully, we have a lot of volunteers who have... Um, 
come out and helped us. Um, our problem now is how are we going to continue to afford it, quite frankly. This is a very expensive endeavor. We went from uh, $175,000 a week the first week we were doing this to about 275 maybe close to 325 a week now. Uh, and, you know, we'll figure it out because we have to. As, as every other food pantry in the state of New Jersey and the state of New York and, and the entire region is doing, because we have to. That's what we do. Over the past year in this job, Kim Gordano has seen hunger up close. And the idea that people are now making choices between rent and food or food and medicine, it's real. Part of the challenge for her is convincing some of the new hungry, the new poor or food insecure that it's okay to get this help. This is what I tell people. If, if you're hungry, if you don't have a job, if you're not hungry now, you certainly will be soon. And if you're out of a job, you will have to make those decisions. You, you will have to decide whether you pay for food, whether you pay for your, to keep your lights on, whether you pay for your kids' medicine. It's going to be a decision that if you're not making now, you will be making soon. And if you can come to a pantry or to my food bank, then why would you pay, and not pay for food, why would you pay for it? And uh, why not go pay for medicine or pay your rent? Those decisions are what will have a lasting impact well beyond any solution uh, this uh, a vaccine might bring to this economy and to our lives. I think it's going to have a permanent impact, not just on the parents, but on the kids. It's it's heartbreaking to see people come and and be embarrassed to pick up a box. They'll come by. I leave the boxes outside the food bank at my building. So we send a lot of boxes out. Every Friday seems to be the day people need boxes. So every Friday we ship about 1,400 boxes throughout Monmouth and Ocean County so they can be distributed. And we leave boxes outside of our building so anybody who wants them can come and pick them up, no questions asked. And and you see people just drive by, run, you know, step out of their cars, run up, pick up a box and throw them in their trunk and drive off because they're so embarrassed. What 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 is the long-term impact of that on on the parents and on the kids, it's, it's Peter. I'll tell you, it is heartbreaking to watch. One thing you talked earlier about is sustainability. How do you fund this going forward? How do you do that? <laughs> um, well, before the pandemic, we ha- we were eighty seven percent donor funded. We literally relied on people in the community for their donations and we were very wise with their expenditures 95 cents of every dollar that they sent us we turned around and and put back into the community and servicing um, hungry people in the community so before the pandemic that was possible now it's it's simply not possible we're going to have to rely on government support because the the numbers are just too high i mean you can't raise $350,000 a week in two counties. It's just unrealistic. It's mind-boggling. So we do have a virtual gala coming up on June 4th. People can tune in to fulfill 
nj.org and help support the people of the Jersey Shore and most importantly help support the people who have been laid off in the hospitality area at the Jersey Shore. So those guys on the boardwalk that you always enjoyed seeing and the restaurant and a lot of musicians, all those people that are now coming to the food bank and the pantries, um, you can help provide food to by joining us at the at the virtual gala. For every dollar that we raise, we can provide three meals to a family in New Jersey or at the Jersey Shore. So anything anybody can do. I gotta you know, it's amazing, Peter, how generous people can be. I got a letter from a a woman on Social Security the other day, and I almost sent the check back because it broke my heart. The letter was from a woman who said, I've been watching what you've been doing at Fulfill, and I wanted to send you this check. She said, I've paid my medical bills this month, and I, I paid my got my medication, and I wanted you to have a part of my Social Security check. Here it is. It was a check for $20. And, you know, for her, that was a check for a million dollars. So that check for $20 will go to make 60 meals for people in her neighborhood. And if somebody like that can write a check for $20, which to her was about a million, uh, I'm sure the people of, of New Jersey will be able to help out their neighbors, at least now during this crisis. Those that have will do what they can. I'm, I'm positive that. I saw, I've seen them step up so many times uh, during Sandy. I know they'll step up now during this pandemic. That is really powerful. Oh, it's heartbreaking. I tell my staff, if you don't cry once a day at this job, you are in the wrong job. There's the door because there is a heartbreaking story every day. Yeah. You can tell. My yeah. voice cracks every time. Yeah, I bet. That is a mm-hmm. really powerful story. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. Does, does the federal government have the stomach to put forth the money to help feed people, number one. Number two, how do you convince the government that people desperately need this money? And is there a way the government can partner with corporations and foundations to try to bridge the gap? Well, they uh, they already are partnering. So Feeding America does, which is what I call the mothership for us, Feeding America does partner with both the federal government, so the USDA, all that food you saw dumped in the, in the, you know, the, mil- the milk and all those pictures, Feeding America is now partnering with the government to fund or subsidize the purchase of some of that food so it now gets distributed back to us. So they, are all, they saw it, the government saw it, we stopped it, the farmers are now getting paid, so it is now getting fixed. So we do. There is a larger ability to partner that way. So they do do that. I am hoping through some of the FEMA money that that will be funneled down. The problem with that money, the emergency funding money, is it takes so long. And I saw it during Sandy. It takes so long to get down to the people that spend it. That would be us. <laughs> you know, it might be a year or two before it gets to us. But um, I've also seen, you know. Some people cut through that red tape pretty quickly. Look, I'm going to spend it if, so long as the money goes directly to the hungry people, I'm going to spend it and worry about how I find the money to pay the bills later on. It's not like we're raising money to to have people live 
for High Life. We're raising money so that people can get through this emergency and then get back to work because they want to work. People want to work. They don't want handouts. I've never met a person who wanted a handout, and uh, I've I've never met a person who wanted to come to a pantry and say, I need formula for my baby. I've never or a diaper or shampoo or soap. Uh, I've never met a person like that. Not in, the, not in the whole, I've been there a year. Not in the full year I've been there doing this. Every single one of them said, I'm going to get a job. I'm going to get back to work. I just need a little help right now. As New York and New Jersey slowly open up, things will start to get better. But both Kim Gordano and Catherine Garcia say, don't expect us to be out of this food emergency anytime soon. 880 In-Depth is a production of WCBS News Radio 880. Peter Haskell and I are the executive producers. We invite you to subscribe so you don't miss a segment. Go back and look for ones you might find interesting. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for WCBS 880 In-Depth. I'm Tim Schelt. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.